Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to tell you about another show in the Offscript Health Network called Is It Serious? This show is a conversational podcast where two doctors share their medical knowledge in a fun, lighthearted chat while also getting to the root of the question of the day. So the question of the day might be, can I be fat and healthy? What's up with all the drug ads on TV? Definitely give it a listen. You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. And today I am so pumped for the third installment of one of my dear social media friends who I just love everything she says, Dr. Rebecca Diamond. And she is a pediatrician known as Parent Like a Pediatrician. She's got a new book coming out. Um, and I, I'm, we've already kind of been talking about what we're going to talk about. I'm so, I, I just, I love her opinions and you're, you're balanced and fair and you're a parent. And just pumped to have you here again. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I am so jazzed to be here. So excited. Okay. Tell us how, how did you go from Instagram handle to writing a book? This is a leap that I will not be making. So just so curious. <laughs> how, how did I you get there? I don't recommend it unless you really want to do it. It's my story's a little, <laughs> good. It, ta- it takes time, takes time and effort for sure. Um, and a lot of luck and a lot of perseverance. I'm actually one of the few people who I actually have been working on the book for much longer than I've been on Instagram. It, most people don't realize oh, that. Right. Yeah, the book led to the Instagram in trying to to sort of share my perspective, like you said, more widely. And then the Instagram became its own thing. And then the book came out because books take years to do and Instagram things take days to do. So they're finally yeah. um, catching up with each other, I would say. Um, but so I've always loved your handle. Writing. Yeah. yeah and, and your, your handle and your, your whole thing is parent, like a pediatrician, because one, you're a, a parent and two, you're a pediatrician. And so what would you say, who, who is this book for and what's kind of, what's kind of the premise of the book and who is the book for? Yes. I always love to say this book is for everyone and I mean it, but specifically anyone who has, or will be having a child from zero to one year old. So it's for the first 12 months of your kid's life. Um, spoiler alert, there will be sequels to come that get the later ages. But for now, we're focusing on that first year because as I was starting to write this book, I realized, um, oh, wow, there's a lot to talk about. I better better really hone in on what's going on in the first year because that's kind of the biggest to me. It's the, you're just thrown into the parenting world. You have this creature with you that you didn't have before that you love and have to take care of, but also is scary and overwhelming. And, and it really filled a whole book just talking about all the things you will want to know and, and all the ways you'll want to feel really empowered to go into that first year of parenting. So did you start writing the book or thinking about the book? Because you have a, a, a four-year-old, were you thinking about this the whole, like before you had this child? Yeah. Or were you like, I've had a baby and now it's, and now I got, now I'm, some no one and now and no one told me this like how yeah it's, yeah, how, yeah when did you exactly. start thinking about the book it's so funny because the age of my child really shows you how long I've been working on this book because you're like well your child's four and a half but you're talking about your daughter when she <laughs> was still, seven months 
Um, so yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's been a cool four years of working on this and it's finally coming out. I definitely started thinking about this after she was born, specifically in yeah. the first few months after she was born. You know, I was already a doctor. I was finishing pediatric residency. And mm-hmm. as smart as I was, you know, as an expert as I was, informed as I was, as kind as I was to other people when I gave guidance, I just was totally overwhelmed. I felt like there was no information that was realistic, but also scientific. And, you know, yeah. there, there is stuff here and there, but in terms of wanting sort of like a one-stop shop, so I could stop going down the rabble, rabbit hole of Google and I could, I mean, my God, I was on like Reddit sub threads as a almost board uh, uh, no. certified no. pediatrician being like, is this normal? And right. my friends being like, you're like a doctor and you're like a kid right. doctor. Um, but it was just so hard. It was, there was so much information. Everyone seemed to have opinions. They seemed to make things more stressful. Um, and I just wanted kind of more like a philosophy or more of a, a framework to say, okay, what's important? What's not important? What's anxiety? What's actual medical worry? How can I, how can I just feel confident as a parent again? Um, and I think just to keep going about this, like the biggest thing that I've noticed with modern parenting, besides the fact that there's just like so much information out there is it seems like the more information you get and the more you read, the less confident you feel, or at least that right. was mine. It's more, you get more confused. No, I agree. Yeah. And it, it makes you doubt yourself in ways that like, you know, sometimes it's important to have a lot of introspection and, and do a lot of research. And other times your instinct really is fine. And and these decisions, really, whatever you choose is okay. But everything has yeah. become so complicated that you get this decision fatigue with parenting, you, where it's like... You do. And everything's become so dogmatic, where it's like, oh, my right. God, how could you feed them that? Or, or how, <laughs> exactly. how could you not feed them that? Or what, whatever decision you're making, whether it's a diaper or formula or sunscreen or whatever, it's like you said, you, you Google and you become more confused because you will find two opinions that are so opposing that you, you don't know where you are and you got to pick one. Like you, you got to either be organic or not. And like, uh, you know, right. Then you go down. Exactly. So yours is more, you're more philosophy driven, like than rule driven, which is what I love. Yeah, I think so. I mean, at the, you know, with the, caveat of saying, it's not that I'm going to, you know, leave you to the proverbial wolves and tell you do whatever you want and think about it. And here's how you decide. I will give you some good guidance. You know, I do it online yeah. and I'll, yeah. I'll make the, I'll, you know, when there's a right answer or only a few right answers, I'll let you know, and I'll tell you what to do. Um, and I'll also give you some good strategies and survival tips. So I, I think, you know, it, in all in all, it's just, it's the book I really wanted. I really felt like I didn't have a book. I didn't have a guide. I just wanted someone to show me what was important and how to focus on that. And Mary, sort of like you said, the science with the you know reality, not be so dogmatic, but also mm-hmm. not say nothing matters because some stuff matters and you should know what that yeah. is. What, what are your favorite things that you talked about that you do feel like are really confusing for parents that you're like, let me, let me clear this up. Let me shoot you straight here. Yeah. I think my favorite chapter, it's hard to choose. I know I'm being very like, here's my book. Here's all the things I love about it. It is my baby. I, I really, I worked so hard to make it something that I think is, 
is a positive thing for parents. So that's why I feel so passionate, uh, you know, about it and proud. But I think one of my favorite chapters is the breastfeeding chapter. Um, because I, I haven't seen anything. I was kind of hoping you would say that. Well, I kind of love talking about breastfeeding and it's actually not something I talk about as much. It's one of the few things I talk about less on social media than I do in real life as any Uh of my patients or pediatric residents will say like, Oh, Dr. Diamond's on service. We're going to talk about breastfeeding. (laughs) Like that's what I'm famous for. Um, but I knew nothing about breastfeeding as a fully board certified pediatrician. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how good it was or why it was good or why it might not be good. And it was just a real nightmare experience for me. And I'm very open about that. And all I could kind of find from all these different books was like, should you breastfeed or should you not? And to me, that's Mm -hmm. just like a very, listen, it's a complicated question if you want to talk about that in a nuanced way. But if you're just saying like fed is best or breast is best, honestly, that's a very outdated conversation because most parents, you know, not all parents, but most parents aren't really sitting there agonizing, am I going to try breastfeeding or not? That's not, you know, Mm -hmm. most parents are agonizing and thinking about, you know, if it's something they're going to try at all or a little bit or how they're going to sustain it. It's just much more complicated than a chapter in a book that says like, here's why you should breastfeed your baby. Good luck. So if you've been following DabbleCo and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, So it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. You know, and that's kind of all I was finding. Um, Well, I think what's really interesting is like when you're in that position too, like you said, you, you got, I'm, I'm assuming just based on what, what I know about pediatric training, you, you got how much training on breastfeeding, like the logistics and and all that. Like zero, like zero, like zero. Right. But same with the OBs. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. OBs, I mean, I think it's kind of the same Yes, they get training in like mastitis. I, I also I could be totally wrong. So if you're an OB and you're listening, you're like, oh my god, that's not true. But that was my experience. Um, is that there's really no one other than now there's thankfully you know more and more very well educated lactation consultants. And actually saw um, Mona. Oh my god, what's her last name? Is becoming a lactation consultant. She does. She's a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And I think there's more and more of that in terms of of resources resources, which is great, but it's like you said, it's so much more of a difficult conversation than should I do it or not? It's like, do I have the resources? Do I have the time? Can someone support me? You know, do I, exactly. am I pumping? Do I have to go back to work? When do I go back to work? Do I have mm-hmm. 
time to pump, even though, yes, your job is, you know, legally required to give you time to pump. Where are you going to pump? Is it going to be in the bathroom? Are you a surgeon? Like, what, can you take a 15 minute break during your case and go mm-hmm. pump? Like, probably yeah. not. So it's super complicated. Number one. Number two is extremely painful. It's one of the most painful things I've ever done in my life for mm-hmm. all day, every day for two weeks. Then it gets better and it's fine. But, um, and like I said, there's just so much nuance to it. And then when you're in that position and you need help, like no one's, no one really is owns it. You're, you're, it's not really your pediatrician and it's not really your OB. You're just, unless you get mastitis, but you're just kind of floating out there in the ether. Right. And there are a lot of resources, but it's not centralized. Like you said, it's, there isn't this, this sense that it's really a part of pediatric health or part of your obstetric health. In most cases, some pediatricians, I work with plenty and some OBs, I had one, are really amazing at supporting this and very knowledgeable, but it's not, just like you said, it's a huge gap in our training and we're taught yeah. to to advocate for breastfeeding and we're not actually taught how to support it. And it's that, it's that divide that became so, so like glaring to me as a pediatrician who had taught, like who was very into breastfeeding. I was very excited to breastfeed. I knew about the health mm-hmm. benefits. You know, I had a lot of goals related to breastfeeding and I had no idea how to meet those or even what resources I should have been looking towards, yeah. let alone how to fit that into my schedule of having postpartum depression, anxiety, and going back to work. And it, going back to work. Know, yeah. If you were in residency yeah. at six weeks. Yeah. Well, I will say, so plug for my little brother who's a pediatrician and, and he's, he's started his practice, oh, two to three years ago. And he, within the last year, he hired a lactation consultant that's in full-time in his yeah, practice because this was coming up so much. And he's like, I don't really know how to help them. I'm trying, I'm spending all this time kind of spinning my wheels and I'm not the best resource for them, but also knowing I want to support these moms in my practice who, who need it. And, but I also got to be there to, to know what's going on with the baby. You know, is the baby gaining weight? Is the baby, you know, feeding appropriately? Or are they like projectile, you know, spitting everything up all, all these little nuances mm-hmm. um and so he actually has somebody in his practice now that's just like that's just part of his practice if, if people are having an issue he's just like go see I can't remember what her name is but um that's so great. I, I thought yeah. that was yeah. I, and I was like oh that's really that's really <laughs> great I, I think part of it too is him having kids you know now he has yeah. his own children and seeing how physically grueling and, and, and difficult it is. And okay, this is a good segue into, um, the AAP recommendations. So the American Academy of of Pediatrics, um, just came out recently and put a, a, a longer recommendation on breastfeeding than had, had previously existed. And, I, I want to hear. I want to hear what you think about it for sure. My my opinion, not just that it came out during the formula shortage, is that we already have a hard enough time getting you know supporting women who want to breastfeed and getting people there and explain. You know there are there are benefits to it for sure for for the baby and for and for mom. You know for cancer prevention and there are known benefits, but we're already having a hard enough time as it is getting people mm-hmm. to do six months, even a year, and then for them to come out and confuse the hell out of people and be like, you know what, it actually needs to be two years. Mm-hmm. So tell me what, tell me your, your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's so, there's so much to talk about, but I will say what I really think 
there's so many like points to make through what happened with this messaging um, because it illustrates just so many things that I'm frustrated with in the parenting world and the pediatric world. So kind of like buckle your mm-hmm. seatbelts. Let's, let's dive into this. Um, the first is <laughs> the first we're is ready. Even, yeah. When you looked at the reputable outlets that were reporting on this, not even just headlines and influencers and things like that, but when you were looking at some of the some of the like reputable science news articles, they were totally misrepresenting what the what the statement said. Now I have issues with the statement itself, but the statement, you know, if we're going to take it at what it's maybe what its actual wording was, it didn't say that it recommended breastfeeding to two years. It said it recommended supporting new parents, you know, usually mothers who want to breastfeed for two years. So okay. it was, I think the intent, again, I wasn't on this committee, but, but the, yeah. but the intent and certainly some of the, the messaging in it was breastfeeding to two years, you know, extended breastfeeding can have benefits. It's something that we should support, you know, from a societal standpoint with women and we should like socially let them do it if they want. Yeah, it was, it was. I think that was the intention. I'm pretty, you know, I'm I'm confident that the goal was not to pressure women or to feel like you have to breastfeed longer than is even sustainable or doable, but was for those cases which I have met before. I've met my own friends mm-hmm. and and coworkers who wanted to breastfeed beyond a year and felt like yeah, well, no one was letting them take pump breaks. They were making fun of them. Even fellow pediatricians right, right. were like, "They're a year. You right. don't have to pump. Go see the next patient." And she was like, I like it. I like breastfeeding my kid. Um, right. Or, you know, saying that you needed some more flexible extended leave. I mean, in the United States, it's the American Academy of Pediatrics. It does feel for most a little bit like a joke to say, well, you want extended leave and support beyond a year. I don't even have it beyond a week. You know, we don't even have guaranteed <laughs> right. parental leave. So right. I think from, you know, the the difference, first of all, you know, headlines are never the whole story and it's always good to go to the source material or ideally have someone, which is my whole, my whole spiel is I will always read a paper for you. I'll always read a statement and I'll try my best to sort of piece through it. Cause that's what, you know, I'm not an expert in, in scientific literature and journal analysis, but I, I have some background, you know, by definition and in, in what I do. Um, but it's not just about seeing beyond the headline. That's a big part of it. I think it's the difference between intent and impact here, mm-hmm. um, which goes to the bigger question of how we message public health recommendations and decisions. Um, a very important topic during a pandemic that has gone just about as wrong as it could in terms of public health <laughs> messaging. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so in summary, um, you know, there's a lot to piece apart in in the message itself, but I do believe the intent was to say we should ex- support extended breastfeeding um, as a reasonable goal. And the impact was, you know, they're talking about breastfeeding beyond a year. What happened to breastfeeding up to a year? And there's a formula shortage now. And some people in the background amidst the formula shortage are saying just breastfeed and making parents feel terrible and right. not actually right. addressing the issue of starving babies to come out with a statement at that same time that said just breastfeed longer and breastfeeding's good. I think it was just not great messaging and timing, honestly. Yeah, that's such a great point is is, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So even if mm-hmm. the intent was 
you know, we just want to support these people who want to breastfeed a little bit longer. Like that's not how it was taken, you know, by, by really, I mean, any, anyone that, that I think was, was reading it, um, kind of like when they recommended, um, having your baby sleep in the room with you for the first year, it's like, I, that's just not right. reality. I don't know what the intention and, was. I get, I, but yeah. it was not well, taken that No, that that's way. exactly right. And then that really ties into the huge theme of what I do and what I write about in the book and what I talk about so much in the book and with parents is that not all recommendations or not all sort of parenting goals are made equal. Y'all, let me tell you about my absolute favorite home store of all time, Celadon. So they have everything from dinnerware to pillows, furniture, they even have jewelry. And yes, it's located in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, but their website has everything you could possibly need and they ship anywhere. So Celadon has like a laid back but curated vibe and no joke, almost every piece of furniture in our home has come from Celadon. So if you're in Charleston, definitely stop by or visit them online at celadonathome.com. And because they are awesome, they gave me a 20% discount code. So check them out and use code dabbleco20 for 20% off. That's celadonathome.com. Not everything is as important. It's not as life-saving. It doesn't matter quite Mm -hmm. as much. And so Mm -hmm. some pediatricians feel like it's glib when I start to say like, it really, we don't have enough evidence for me to go and make parents feel like they have to stay in the same room for a year because I know for most parents, that's a nightmare. That's impossible. And I think yeah. for most right. parents, the the benefits of that are going to pale compared to the fact that no one's on parental leave for that long and we have to right. get sleep and, you know, and, and the strength of the evidence, the strength of the effect, the importance of the recommendation, it can get lost when it's just a long checklist of things to talk about. Um, which was the biggest source of anxiety, I think, for me and even my husband at the first pediatrician visits. You know, I was going to these visits. I was so depressed. I was so anxious. I was in so much pain from my C-section. Breastfeeding was was starting to fail by my, at least by my standards. Everything was a mess. And I would go in and these really lovely, well-intentioned pediatricians, some of them my colleagues, you know, we'd go through these checklists. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And yeah. It's important. We call it anticipatory guidance in in pediatrics and in medicine. It's it's important to to try to give this, but but when it feels like homework or a checklist, you start to feel I started to kind of dread the sense that I was going to come in and I knew there were so many things I wasn't doing right or quote unquote right. Yeah. You think um, it right. Yeah, I was going to say you think you're not doing right. Right. Yeah. And I realized, you know, this is really what spurred the book in a, in a huge way was I had been doing that exact same thing as a pediatrician before I had a kid. I had been sitting there and treating it like a checklist because I was stressed. I wanted to get my notes done and fill out my templates and make sure I had done it. And I wasn't necessarily meeting parents where they were or giving them the information that they specifically needed. Um, So, man, and that's so great that you realize that though. And, and, you know, I think it's hard for parents to even know that when you're in the the appointment, you think this person is like doing what you're doing, which is checking a, a list 
for some sort of judgment or you're being, you're doing it right or wrong. And, and really it's just like, Hey, we, you know, I have this list of things that are supposed to be important and, you know, want to help you how I can, but it can definitely feel like they're, che- they're judging me. They're checking this box. I didn't check the box. I didn't do it right. I, you know, I'm like, I'm a bad mom and you're already in this place of like sleep deprived and in- insanity. Um, but anyway, so, I mean, I think it's great that you could even recognize that in yourself. Yeah. I mean, it totally changed how I, I practice medicine and, and the pediatricians that I've seen who I really love and are so seasoned and great, they don't do that. You know, they've really created a way to connect with parents and it's, you know, my book does not replace a pediatrician. I'm really clear about that. My book all over it says, please go talk to your pediatrician and partner with your pediatrician. Um, But my goal is to make you feel empowered to have a sense of when can I, you know, when can I trust my parenting instinct? When is this something that I can do? And when do I just outsource it? And how do I come to my pediatrician with the right questions, with the right way to guide them to help me rather than just feel like they're, you know, I'm going to just be flooded with a list of, of rules and they all, you know, seem like they should be super important to me. But again, some of them are really important and others, there is room for a more nuanced risk benefit assessment. Um, Cause everything's okay. risk benefit. Let's talk about risk benefit. Let's talk about risk benefit and the Again, I swear to God, the next one time there's, we're going to do an episode where we don't talk about COVID. Like it's, we're going to get there, but for now, episode three, it's, I'm sorry, we're back. (laughs) I want to talk about risk benefit. I know. God, it's like, surely one day risk benefit school is starting back. Uh, Vaccine was just approved for kids six months to five years. What is your conversation with parents who are just, so I want to be clear. I think there are two completely different categories of people. I think there is an, there is an anti-vax community Mm -hmm. and, and Mm -hmm. anti-vax person, and they are truly anti-vaccines as a, as a philosophy, as a whole, as a thing that exists. And that is a different thing that I'm going to talk about. Like that, that's very different than people who are concerned, questioning, confused, um, trying to figure out, particularly with a new vaccine, with a new virus, um, you know, what, what should I do? Mm -hmm. Is my kid really at risk? Like you said, you know, we're talking about risk benefit and, and do I get this new vaccine for this new virus? So what, what does the risk benefit conversation look like when you're talking to patients who are, who just have questions and are trying to figure out What's the right thing to do for their kid? Yeah, I'm going to be even more bold than you and say, I think all parents fall into the second category because even if you are quote unquote anti-vax as a parent or you're mm-hmm. sort of reciting those talking points or you've been, you know, that's that's been what you've, you know, essentially what you've been convinced to think, that's not really what right. what spurred your desire to be critical of vaccines you know, all parents want the best for their kids. It's not a controversial take, but it's something that we forget. You know, these are everyone I meet is a loving parent who has critical thoughts, you know, wants to really appraise the information out there. And there's just too much information. And there's Mm -hmm. this very Mm -hmm. small subset. I know we've talked about it before because it's my, one of my favorite topics. Um, There's about a dozen people who create all of the social media content that's, 
you know, truly right. anti-vaccine propaganda. It has a long yeah. and storied history, and there's it's, it's a really complex political movement if you look back on it. But but that's that's sort of the I don't want to talk to them, I don't want to reason with you group. It's the propagandists, the parents right. who have succumbed They're to pretty that. Ex- pretty extreme. I mean, extreme. It, yeah, it's, extreme. It's pretty extreme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really awful. And those are the people that, again, talk about once you have your own kid, how my views have changed. I used to just be so angry at at parents who wouldn't vaccinate. This was long before COVID. Yeah. I was, you know, just thinking, how is it possible that a parent is not allowed to give this life-saving vaccine and I'm going to have to treat things? I didn't even think polio would be back and now it's back. So my God. Dude, here but, we are. I was treating meningitis. I was treating measles. And I was like, these are things that my mentors have never seen. And they were like, I don't, you know, this is, this is really horrifying. It's like seeing the bubonic plague again, spread all over. It's, it's these things out of a medieval textbook because vaccines have been so amazing. So I used to be so angry at parents. I used to, you know, and there's complex reasons why, you know, I, there's some ties to privilege and, the groups who are promoting this tend to have more privilege, and they also tend to be predominantly from white communities. So there's everything yeah. is tied to structural racism. So it's a big, complicated mess. But it took me having my own kid to be like, oh, I, no one wants to do wrong by their own kid. And I'm yeah. really stressed out with the medical establishment now. I could see how if I were to stay up all night and look up the different ways in which I could protect my kid and stop being so stressed out because the AAP was recommending X, Y, or Z, or I felt like there was just like too much out of my control, I could see how I might be swayed against vaccines. I could see yeah. that if I weren't who yeah. I am and and the knowledge I have. So when I talk to parents, you know, first of all, you I only talked, I don't try to convince anyone of anything. I just talk to people who want more information or who are interested mm-hmm. in what my expert opinion is, but I never feel like, you know, I never feel judgmental and I used to, mm-hmm. but I never feel like you're a crappy parent because you're doubting vaccines or you're not vaccinating. Um, and then I just try to focus, like you said, it's not a monolith. There's so many different reasons people could be hesitant about any vaccine. It might be because there's really bad propaganda and some of the softer propaganda talking points they've succumbed to, or it might be because COVID vaccines are new and new things are scary and that's okay. You know? Um, so I have sort of a billion different talking points, but (laughs) the way I open the conversation is, you know, I, this is what I do. I like to research this stuff. I like to think about risk benefits. I like to share it online. And I I've heard every single question, I think. So if you have a question or concern about a vaccine, ask me and I'll let you know if I feel like it's a significant risk. I'll let you know if I think it would impact the decision I would do for my own daughter. Cause I never recommend anything I wouldn't do for my own daughter. And mm-hmm. I'll also compare it to the benefits and to the risks of not doing it. Like, like we talked about, there's no such thing as risk in a vacuum. Every decision you make, there's either the risk of doing it or the risk of not doing it. And yeah. It's yeah. been for me from day one, from from day negative one, you know, from the beginning, COVID is, you know, as much as people minimize it and as much as there is a reality of what we have to accept, COVID is a, is, is a harmful virus. It's worth preventing when you can. 
It's worth lessening the severity of it, both short and long-term when you can. It's worth just decreasing the suffering from it because suffering is not necessary for you know, modern medicine. And, and these right. are really safe and effective and excellent vaccines. And they're always going to be better than the virus. And that's your choice, you know, as a parent and can kind of be that simple if you let it be. Yeah. And it's, it's hard too now with this particular virus, you know, like you would say, you know, the flu, a lot of people really minimize the flu and the reality Mm -hmm. is it's kills several hundred children a year. And what we used to have a flu season. So it's like, well, you kind of wait till flu season and then you, and then you vaccinate. And I don't know what's going to happen. That was kind of where we were, you know, the approval came this summer and we had a four-year-old and we're like, wow, we'll probably wait till like closer to school thinking that's when it might be as more beneficial. I don't know. I mean, this is just totally asking you to guess like what, what do we think is, is going to happen here? Is it going to be like a couple times a year booster? Are we, I mean, my prayer as a parent, just from the misery of getting your kid a shot is Mm -hmm. there will be hopefully like a flu combo that will do, you know, closer to fall and winter. And then, you know, maybe you do boost in the summer. Well, so then, you know, like jokes on us, literally, I don't know, maybe two weeks after um, her age group got approved, she got COVID and I'm pretty sure it was like a super spreader. And I mean, we didn't even know it until after, it was just like a whole mess, which is another Mm -hmm. conversation about testing because yeah, now we have all this testing and it, we've negatively test. It's essentially worthless. And she never had a fever. Anyway, it's just a mess. It's a mess. It's like, <laughs> it's been a such a cluster. It is. It's such a cluster. And we're going back to school. And I know, I mean, I, I can't, I cannot test my kid now every time they have a sniffle. Like I, I can't, I can't do it. And so I feel like a lot of us, most people that I know in the medical community right now are kind of in this place of like test when you think it's appropriate, when you think you need to, particularly with a fever or depending on, you know, if you're traveling or going to be around people, but I I don't know what's going to happen going back into pretty much essentially and as about as normal a life as we were at, yeah. let's say pre 2020, because we're not, most people aren't doing masks anymore. Um, I mean, you're, you're in New York, so you tell me it may be yeah, still totally South, different right? there, although, yeah, but yeah. I, f- I feel like even still, I mean, I was in New York recently and it's still yeah. like pretty lat. I mean, compared to where even six months oh, for ago, sure. like it's, for sure. it's just not like it was, but right. in school we'll, we'll see, but what are we going to do like this fall and winter when my kid has a sniffle once a week? Like what are, what are we supposed to do if they don't have yeah. fever? If you're, if you're not super concerned, what's kind of your philosophy on that and you know testing as a whole and besides just common sense which I would love for (laughs) you to actually tell people what common sense is because you would think that we would all be on the same page and we're not well you're exactly right we don't have common sense as a society not I'm not putting down any individuals but the biggest thing putting ourselves in that category like I I mean yeah well every every question and concern and frustration you've said just now, first, I've heard it and I've felt it. And second, it just comes from this theme to me of the difference between public health and personal health and how they really are different things. They inform each other, but they're really different. And the past few mm-hmm. years have seen this country specifically go from a place of, okay, here's public health. We'll trust it 
more or less, and we'll try to work together for it to a place pretty much within a few months of every man for woman, child, person for themselves. themselves. Yeah. Yes. And forget public health. And if we don't have public health and we don't follow those measures, but those measures fail, somehow that means public health has failed rather than we have failed to uphold it. And so we've just created the situation where, like you said, your question of how often would you boost and when would you do a vaccine and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's a public health question, but it's a really complicated question, not only because we're learning about this virus, but because we don't really have any sense of of how people are going to respond to this public health initiative. And that mm-hmm. changes mm-hmm. how effective it is. And that changes how much immunity you have. Again, it's it's this idea of if we don't have any sort of baseline collective approach to these things, it's going to be even more unpredictable and things are going to be even less effective at the personal level. And it becomes this, this catch-22 of, well, public health measures, no one's doing them. So they're not working for me when I do them on an individual level. So I can't do them as much, which is fair. It's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And then fewer people are doing them. And so it becomes you know, more or less a self-fulfilling prophecy of these things don't work. And we've just seen that for two years. Um, I would say what I hope people have seen, though, is that hand-washing, especially in these little kids who either couldn't wear a mask yeah, or works. what didn't, and they didn't work. Mm-hmm. Holy hell. If you don't think hand-washing works after 2020 and 2021, I, I can't help you. Like, it talk <laughs> about public health. I mean, but my I, gosh, I just like, be- we've got to wash our hands. Yeah. Well, just because I'm talking about masks and that's a particularly emotional topic, it's become a bit of a false flag on both sides, meaning that this has never really been about the masks, but it's the most visible symbol that we see. And being there's sort of this narrative, it's again, this nonsense, unproductive, partisan, binary, either you're pro-mask or anti-mask, which to me is you know, I was, I've been accused of being too pro-mask and fear-mongering. I've recently been accused of being anti-mask and not saying that masks work. Right. The the reality is masks do work. They work in the sense that they can help prevent COVID. They certainly got rid of RSV and flu for a while, which was lovely for pediatricians. Twenty. Winter of 2020 was amazing. Like best year ever. No one was sick ever. It was crazy. I was like, where's my RSV service? And everyone was not there. And, and honestly, that was a benefit. I'm not saying that the benefit was so strong that you would need to tell everyone to wear a mask forever. But I think it was proof of the concept that when you do a decision at a public or personal health level, you will be seeing, you will see benefits and you will see risks. You know, that is just what it is. And so- I'm not pro-mask in the sense that, I mean, I'm pro-mask in the sense that I believe there is a role for masks now and potentially for a long time. And honestly, I've been Mm -hmm. wearing masks forever. So I always wore masks when it was in the winter around, you know, cough and cold season. So that's not- Yeah, it's everybody's nasty. The idea that you might wear a mask on a bus in December with a flu outbreak or a COVID outbreak, like that's not a crazy idea to me. It never has been. Um, no, Ed but, O'Brien's been doing that for, on planes for years, <laughs> literally, it, li- quite literally years. I mean, why not? Why not just, you know, I, like I, exactly. I, I incorporated it into my newborn chapter. I have a newborn visitors chapter that changed mm-hmm. dramatically over the course of writing it during a pandemic. And in the end I say, you know, winter of 2020, no newborns came in and were, you know, had breathing tubes, were intubated with RSV. That was cool. I mm-hmm. liked that. What if you have wow. visitors wear a mask when your kid is you know, 
four weeks old. That seems kind of reasonable. I'm telling you, I watched my husband physically remove my newborn from my sweet angel who worked was working with me admin nana jane nana had brought us dinner i she had washed her hands this is 2015 so way before covid way before in july by the way not even like cold and flu season yeah i i knew she washed her hands ed did not physically see her with his eyeballs wash her hands i see this man remove my newborn child from nana Mm -hmm. Take take her away, <laughs> spray her hands, and he's like, yeah. "Wash your hands, and you, can, and now you can have her back." And like we laugh about it now, but it's like it, that was so it was so easy. It was not a big deal, and like right, yeah, right. And I think now people typically people now are kind of more understanding than ever. Yeah, and you know about saying you know I have I have several you know people ask all the time like hey I'm. I, is it unreasonable for me to ask family members to be vaccinated against pertussis before they see my baby? I'm like, no, nope. totally. That's great. I've not been re- doing not that. unreasonable at all. Supplements and vitamins are just a part of so many of our daily lives now. So how do we know what to choose in a brand? My family personally uses Thorn. Thorn has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorn product through me when you create your account at thorn.com slash you slash dabblecoat and you'll receive 15% off and free shipping on all your future orders. When you create your account, you'll just be prompted to confirm Dabbleco as your referral and the discounts applied in the cart after you create your account. Again, that's thorn.com slash you like the letter U slash Dabbleco. And you can also find the direct link in the show notes. I've been doing that since 2017, so... You know, totally, and and has to- nothing to do with it. With yeah, with it's just COVID or masks or anything. Yeah, yeah, it's just about risk and benefit, exactly like you said. I mean, the nanny we hired when my daughter was born. I remember the first day she came over for her interview. She said, "Oh, one second, I have to go wash my hands." And I was like, "That's it. She's the one hired." Like, right. <laughs> it's like right, right. She's like, and I'm up to date on my flu shot. And I was like, I will see you on Monday. This is great. Love you. Um, Love you. But you're, you know, that's that's what it is. The risk benefits of your decisions. It's hard to divorce them from public health, but you can be, you know, you can say that masks are important. Hand washing is important. Vaccines are important and understand that it will be very context dependent and that the risks and benefits might shift from day to day in terms of what is happening in your community or what is happening with your own child. But like you said, with hand washing to me, and I laid this out in gory detail online and even gorier detail in, in my book, to me, vaccines are just, it's so unfortunate they've been caught up in this kind of anti-science movement because they are the, they are the hand washing of med, you know, they are the no risk, no real, you know, no serious risk, only life-saving benefit. And it's like, I, you know, hand washing used to not be a thing either. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, I know. I know. You know, like at all people used to think it wasn't good. So let me ask you, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to like rapid fire. I don't want a, I don't want your diplomatic book answer. I want like this. I want your like, this is just me. Okay. She's rolling, like cracking her neck. She's listening up. Okay. All right. Your kid comes home with like a little sniffly, just like coldy thing. Are you testing them? Is she coming home from school? 
From school. Yeah, from school. She's going to go back to school. She's going to go. She's going to go back to school. Yeah. I think I am. But here's There's no right or wrong answer. There's okay. I am because my sweet daughter, who is going to be a pediatrician when she grows up and has okay. loves to do whatever mom does, loves loves COVID tests. <laughs> she, oh my God, like, <laughs> we have two very different children. I just got finished telling you how it takes two full-grown adults. Literally the last time we had, to, bless her, and I know they say don't talk about your children on the internet because they're going to come back and hear it and hate you one day. And I'm sorry, <laughs> Tilly, Tilly Angel. It took me and daddy both holding you down. And she had just heard in this little like cartoon that morning. And I'm so glad I heard where it came from. Otherwise I would have been like, Oh my God, how did you know how to say this? She was like, I hate you. And I hope you die. And I was like, Oh my God, what? She's screaming that at Ed. As he's oh anyway, I was like, okay, no more of that. Whatever Netflix car, stupid cartoon it was, but I had heard yeah. it. And I was like, Oh my God, she's oh. using this in the appropriate context. Like she means that right now. Right. It's, but- it's, Traumatic. But also, okay, so that's your your kid. But also, COVID the okay. other thing is, if she tests right. positive, if she tests positive, I have the resources uh-huh. to keep her home. I do, and I'm not saying okay. that's a reason enough not to test. I'm not trying to say like let's all throw caution to the wind and screw everyone else over. But I'm trying right. to acknowledge that sometimes when I come with these really strong recommendations for people, part of what I'm seeing is the risk I don't see because of who I am. Yeah. It's not a big deal to me. I can switch my week of service or I can get my parents to come or some, it, it can be done where her staying home for seven days isn't much different than her staying home for three days for me. It's yeah. inconvenient, yeah, I, but I, I can do it. I think most parents hopefully would acknowledge there are times, particularly like working parents when you just almost, you're, you're almost like, la, 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 like with your yeah, fingers. Cause yeah. you know, like something's up and you're like, I have to, whatever it is, I have a meeting or travel or like something important. And it's almost like your brain can't, you're like, I can't even imagine, like, I can't even play the scenario out. Okay. So she comes home with the sniffles. You're testing her because she likes COVID tests. Okay, great. All right. So now <laughs> if it's, let's say if it's positive, obviously she's got not going back to school. Next question. If it's negative and she's sniffly, are we keeping her home for a day or is she going back to school the next day? My kid, first of all, I'm not testing my kid. We just established it is an existential hell. So Mm -hmm. that my Mm -hmm. seven-year-olds may, I might test her. Oh, and no fever. Let's say this scenario, there was no fever Mm -hmm. next day. Still, you know, same sniffly, but like acting fine was, was negative. She going back to school. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, no, I think again, I think it I think it's hard for me to say it's if I'm not on service, I'll probably keep her home. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. if I'm, I have the bandwidth, you can, I might. Because you can. Because I can. Yeah. Because I can. Yeah. If, if I'm sending her back for whatever reason, my child is particularly good with masks. I'm in an area that has some masking. Um, I think that is sort of, people keep saying all or none with masks and that's a whole different topic. But if you think about you know, masking as a tool. And my child spent two years masking and was very good with it and was the mask police to other people and really didn't have a challenge with it and only took it off because her friends peer pressured her um, at school (laughs) because their parents peer pressured them to peer pressure kids. You know, it came from the adults. It didn't, you know, so, and I told her, I've had, I posted about this. I told her that I would prefer masks on because, and this is not for this coming fall. I think I'll make that decision later, but I have told her in the past, you know, I prefer masks on because I think it's a sign of protecting the community. You know, it's respectful 
and enough people are doing it. But if you need to take mass breaks, because or it really is not something you want to do, that's kind of okay too. Um, because I didn't want, like you said, you don't want your kid to be the one suffering the burden when it feels like no one else is there with you. And yeah. I get a lot yeah. of people talking about personal responsibility, and I really do appreciate that. I think that is an important point. And I have been throughout the pandemic teaching personal responsibility, how we protect the community. There will always be a point where you as a parent, you're just there for your kid. Your kid is the most important. And it's so I really do think that's okay. It's okay to say, I don't want my kid to suffer to benefit the rest of the community. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying mm -hmm. it's okay to feel like that's not your job. That's actually public health's job and society's job. And you mm -hmm. can't be on that journey on your own at, you know, at the expense of your kid to help other people when that contract isn't being fulfilled by others yeah. in your community. Your kid has a little sniffle. They've tested negative. You feel like you've, you know, you have to get back to work. Your kid has to get back to school and, you know, in this day and age with the way things are, you know, staying home for an extra two days, testing till it turns positive, like does not feel like the right balance of risk and benefit. I'm not going to judge you for that. I understand that. Yeah. 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 And I think what you said about, you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be, I'm masking 24 seven and I'm vaccinated and we're still not really doing things socially and we're washing our hands 24 seven. That's that to me would be kind of the all category, but it mm -hmm. also doesn't have to be nothing of like, I'm not doing any of this. I mean, you can, and I think it's okay to give people permission at, at this point, two years ago is a different story. We didn't know what the right. hell was going on. Literally, we thought right, we all right. were wiping down our groceries. We thought we were all going to die. Now, I think it's okay to give people permission to say like, yeah, you can, you can pick and choose. Like I sometimes fly with a mask. I sometimes don't. I, I and I, there might not be a great rhyme or reason for me if, if I feel like, okay, I cannot get sick on this plane or whatever. Or I mean, there's just, it's okay at this point. Now I'm always still going to be wiping the hell out of the seat. Cause we, again, we were doing that before cause planes are disgusting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so thoroughly enjoyed the, the free wipes during everything. Um, Delta still gives out the free wipes, which so is shout out to Delta. Um, and if you want more than one, they'll give you like five. So the planes are disgusting. We're always going to wipe them down. Same with like hand washing, whatever, but I think it's okay to give people permission at this point to say like, you're not a bad person, yeah. you know, if, if your kid's not in a mask all day or if you're, you know, just, just living your life. And I, I do think we're at the point right now of where, you know, we have a vaccine and if you, if you need to, you know, practice still saying it, staying at home some and social distancing because of specific health issues, that's fine. And if you have gotten the vaccine, great. I wish everybody would get the vaccine. I, yeah. I do. Um, but also, I'm at a, at a point of like, yeah. you know, we've got to give people permission to, like you said, not feel like the weight and the burden of public health is right. solely on them and per particularly those with, with those children. Right. And it's not, you know, it's not, it doesn't make it right. And it doesn't make it like there are issues with ableism and with our lack of public health, really just throwing vulnerable populations to the wind, much like children right. were thrown to the wind right. for the past few years so that corporations could thrive. So there's no part of me that, yep. I, th I think my argument can get a little, you know, misinterpreted by any side 
of a of a very highly polarized conversation because I'm not I'm generally not here to say you have to do one thing or the other. I'm only here to say there's a really clear situation where risks outweigh benefit, there's a really clear situation where benefits outweigh risks or it's a little more complicated and here's the framework mm-hmm. I use to decide. And each decision has different set of benefits, like am I flying to see family members or am I flying to go on a cruise that is totally optional? Am I sending my right. kid to school without right. a mask or am I sending my kid to the grocery store without a mask? I mean, those are just different situations. And right. and you don't have to minimize the benefits of a of some of some sort of measure or maximize the risks. Like you don't have to go and and tell me all the ways in which COVID doesn't hurt kids and it's, you know, RSV kills more kids and blah blah blah. Like I'm not interested in that because you can we can just talk about the risks as they are which is that it would yeah. be great to prevent COVID in whatever ways we can that don't introduce too many risks. And ideally but that's I, being done at a public health level, but it's not here. <laughs> I think that's what's great about you and the way that you present information is that you said you're you both sides are going to think you're too, you know, too far this way or too far that way. Well, the reality is you're hopefully, I, I mean, I, it sounds to me like you're in the, the middle and trying to make the decision not based on emotion or politics or whatever it is, but true, you know, risk benefit for that patient and that population and whatever, whatever that looks like in that moment, which is what I, what I have always, you know, that's why you've, you've been on three times, Rebecca. I think you might be the first person, my first oh my third timer besides well, Ed, that's... only because during COVID, I didn't have anybody else to talk to. So, <laughs> Well, I keep coming back, so I, I love it here. <laughs> no, but you're, that's exactly right. That's just, that's the whole thing, you know, it's, and sometimes there are, I'm going to say this a million times, there are cases where the benefits almost always, if not always outweigh the risks. That's vaccines. Yeah. That's including the COVID yeah. vaccine. And that's why I'm happy where, you know, where there is evidence to come in and say, like, ask all the questions you want, whatever you decide is fine, but you should feel empowered to know that no matter what, you know, this Mm -hmm. is going to be the beneficial situation versus breastfeeding beyond a year. I cannot tell you to your face, you have to do that. It's going to be a lot more complicated than that. Well, tell people where first, where can they find uh, the book? The book is everywhere. I'm so, so excited. So you can go to any major publisher. Um, You can go through my publisher, which is Kensington Books, and they'll list all the different places that they are, like Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and Target. When I, oh my God, when I saw it on Mm -hmm. Target, I was like, this is a very cool. I love that. Well, because all I do is shop from Target. So I was like, (laughs) this is I'm irrationally excited for you. Yeah. I'm like, this is a, um. This is a full circle moment. Like I've made it home. Like my home is selling. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) But you can find it anywhere. Just Google parent like a pediatrician um, or check out my website, parentlikeapediatrician.com. And I'll link to everything there. Um, And on Instagram. And yeah, social media, what's your handle? I am on Instagram at parent like a pediatrician, all one word. Um, And I'm here to answer your questions as quickly as I can. Well, gosh. Rebecca, Dr. Diamond, thank you so much for coming back. And as always, I've, I loved this conversation. It was just so great. I hope you guys um, will get, get her book or give it to someone who you think might in, you know, benefit from it. And definitely give her a follow on Instagram. Great, great information there. 
Um, like I say, every week, it's super helpful if you will rate um, the episode or the show, subscribe, share it with friends. That's how I continue to get good guests. And I'll see you next week. Thank you.